The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. There it is. That's the truck. The one that took Rogan. Here. Check out the barn. Looks like we found our kidnappers. Then we should call the police. And tell them what? That they have guns. On their own property, which is their constitutional right. Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, June 16th, 2022. I'm Bob Metz. And this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing. It's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. Unfortunately, gun ownership is not a constitutional right in Canada. Canada has no Second Amendment, nor does Canada even have a constitution that's written to protect the life, liberty, and property of its citizens. Today's show is indeed part two of last week's look at guns, violence, mass shootings, and gun controls, and in particular, the shootings at Uvalde, Texas, and perhaps even more in particular, the ever-changing stories, narratives, and reports of the shootings in Uvalde, Texas. The plots thicken, and the fascist agenda continues unabated. And if you don't already know what I'm talking about, you will, right after our reminder that you can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org. Hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave. Follow and like us on your favorite podcast platform, and do visit us at justrightmedia.org, where you can access all of our social media links and archive broadcasts. As always, your financial support is appreciated and is what makes this show possible. I used my friend's blood to play dead, read the headline of June 9th National, Inqu- um, or National Post in London Free Press. <clears throat> you know, it was the first print media coverage of the Uvalde shootings that appeared since our show last week, which we titled Gunning for Control of the Gun Control Narrative. And if you missed it, Very quickly, I discussed how I couldn't help but notice how the sudden absence of the state-funded media's news coverage and commentary on the Uvalde, Texas school shootings was telling. Following days of news reports that were completely contradictory with each subsequent report, the coverage suddenly stopped. However, what did remain consistent with each day's news update were calls for gun control and for the disarming of the nation. But you know, soon even those stopped, at least until the item I'm about to share with you. To put it bluntly, the question we had to ask ourselves last week as more and more of the details and other mass school shootings became clear was this. Were calls for gun controls a consequence of the shootings, or were the shootings a consequence of the gun control agenda? Think about that. It's a disarming question, either way you look at it, literally or figuratively. 
So, after complete silence on developments in the Uvalde narrative, the propaganda media machine once again resumed its own narrative, regardless of the emerging facts surrounding the Uvalde shootings. And that narrative and that agenda is the disarming of free peoples everywhere under the pretense of protecting them from harm by passing laws and regulations and prohibitions on the ownership of guns. You know, they call it gun control. I call it people control because that's always the objective. And the propaganda begins thusly. The headline reads, I used my friend's blood to play dead, Survivor tells Congress. And this is out of the London Free Press National Post of June 9th, with the subheading, Students' bodies were pulverized, committee told. And this is written by Nick Allen of the Daily Telegraph and Associated Press. And I quote, A child survivor of the Uvalde school shooting has told the U.S. Congress that she escaped by smearing a murdered friend's blood over herself to play dead. The testimony from Mia Cirillo, 11, came as politicians heard demands from families for action on gun control. The mother of Lexi Rubio, 10, one of Mia's classmates who died, said she would forever be haunted and asked why some people think guns are more important than children. Mia, a bespectacled fourth grader, spoke calmly and forcefully in a video played to a gun violence hearing held by a committee of the House of Representatives. She recounted the horror in which 19 fellow pupils and two teachers were shot dead by an 18-year-old gunman at Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas on May 24th. The politicians were also shown a chart on how deaths by firearms in the United States dwarf those of any other G7 country. The testimony at the House of Oversight Committee came as lawmakers worked to strike a bipartisan agreement on gun safety measures in the aftermath of back-to-back mass shootings. Republican Carolyn Maloney, the panel's chairwoman, called the hearing to focus on the human impact of gun violence and the urgency for gun control legislation, end quote. Yeah, that's what we need, right? Gun control legislation. These people are beneath contempt. How long can you ignore reality? You know, I find it difficult to believe, honestly, that any parent who lost a child in an event like Uvalde would possibly make gun control legislation some kind of urgent priority in their lives. I mean, shouldn't they be more interested in learning the facts about why and how their children unnecessarily died? They could so easily have been rescued and saved. And to answer the mother who asked why some people think guns are more important than children, well, as always, you hear this in all these hearings, that's a false dichotomy. Are cars more important than children? Because the number of children who die in car accidents dwarfs the number killed by guns under any circumstance. And in the Uvalde case, guns were important to the children because the authorities who legally possessed them refused to use them. And to suggest otherwise, in light of the knowledge we already have available to us, is simply irresponsible or worse. I don't know if you noticed, but this gun control narrative is just like the COVID narrative. And it's like the climate change narrative. And it's like the Ukraine narrative. Facts don't matter. And controlling and getting everybody jabbed with deadly injections is the ever-present primary agenda behind all of these distractions. 
Now, I'd originally intended to kick off last week's show with the following audio bite, but I guess this week's show is as good a time as any. From Laura Lynn Tyler Thompson's June 1st show, featuring Canada's prime fascist, Justin Trudeau doing his usual fascist thing, in this case, attempting to be very disarming about disarming his political rivals and planned victims of future Covidian horror stories. And when we return, on the other side of the bumper, none other than Alex Jones, apologizing for his coverage of the Uvalde school shootings. Really. We have a video. You've all heard Justin Trudeau wants to remove guns from our society and from us. Take a look at what he said. We propose, and now, as we see gun violence continue to rise, it is our duty to keep taking action. Last summer, during the campaign, some politicians said they would make assault-style weapons legal again. Not only did we stand up to them, but we promised to go even further to protect our communities. We proposed to invest to help provinces and territories put restrictions on handguns within their jurisdictions. However, in our discussions with law enforcement, advocates, and experts, it became apparent that we needed a different solution. So we decided to take a new route, something that would tackle this issue at a national level. And so today, we're moving forward. We're introducing legislation to implement a national freeze on handgun ownership. What this means is that it will no longer be possible to buy, sell, transfer, or import handguns anywhere in Canada. In other words, we're capping the market for handguns. So I've had a real um, lesson in why guns are important. Guns are important when a society can't trust their government. Because once in a while, have you seen in history that an entire nation has to rise up against a tyrannical government? They don't want you to have that kind of power because they want to have all the guns. Is Justin Trudeau going to be well secured and armed and protected? Are you and I going to be? Apparently not. Apparently that's not important. You see, when you take away the right to defend your home, when robbers are coming in, uh, you, you know, guns are, are not used in a bad way by people who get them generally um, legally and they're trained. They get licenses. They learn how to take care of them how to lock them up when they're not in use, but they've got them. They've got them for the, the uses that are legal to use for. And it's interesting that he's just going after this, right? I'm wrong, I'm wrong. And when I made a mistake, I admit it, and uh, I've got egg all over my face. Alex Jones is not always right, and 
I'm ashamed of myself. And I don't say that to, to, to like, oh, look, he's ashamed of himself. I mean, I mean, that's how I feel. And I need to admit that. I am tired. And I didn't want to get in the car and drive three hours to Uvalde. And I just want to believe in Texas and I want to believe in police. And I want to believe in the system because I know that that old system's not perfect, but it's under attack. So I got up here on air and I regurgitated the official story. And even after the evidence came out that it was a lie, I just lazily went along with it. And now the jury's in. And uh, I'll, just, I'll be completely honest, because it's not just about me, it's about understanding the thought process that we're all having. But Uvalde smells bad, guys. And so two weeks ago, when the tragic event unfolded in Uvalde, Texas, with 19 children and two teachers killed, there were publications everywhere saying, will Alex Jones say this is a false flag? Will Alex Jones say this was staged? Because Jones always says it's staged. No, I don't always say it's staged. When there's an hour stand down at Columbine and they knew it was going to happen and they stood down, I said it was suspicious. And the children reported, the teenagers reported multiple gunmen in the building and men that were adults doing it. We've covered that. Gregory said a great report on it last week. And then you look at the stand down in Broward County a few years ago, the tragic event, what happened there. And they knew the guy was a shooter. They knew he was planning it. They called him school shooter. They stood down for at least 12, 14 minutes outside when they knew he was running around shooting people. And the list goes on and on. We have the Buffalo white supremacist shooter. Turns out was in constant communication with a former federal agent. That obviously leads to provocateuring, leans towards that. So just because I've been sued by the Democratic Party for questioning mass shootings, is it the reason I came out two weeks ago on Tuesday after it happened and said, well, the police say that they chased him in there and engaged him and a hero Border Patrol agent killed him within 12 minutes. And then, well, he was barricaded inside there and we're not sure. And it was 45 minutes and then it was 60 minutes and then it was 70 minutes. Now it's 75 minutes that they stood outside, the state police, local police, all of them, and held the families back, and they lied about it for a week, and finally the head of the DPS went down there and said, I was misled, and the governor said he was misled. And then I said, okay, it looks like we were lied to. But I should have gotten in a car, and I should have gone down there, it's three hours away, and I should have interviewed people like I used to do. I didn't not do it because I've been sued for asking questions. I still said Jesse Smollett and Bubba Wallace were staged, and we still we think something staged say it. But I still kind of just stayed out of it because it's such a toxic situation. And if it happens again like this, we won't be like that. So I subconsciously backed off of this because it's, it's, it's so painful. I mean, who wants to be around something like that? The grieving parents and uh, others. And so we dropped the ball. We gave the police the benefit of the doubt because it's Texas and the police have been under attack and I want to believe in the police. But the head police chief of the school district there is in hiding. He was already elected to the city council. He won't talk to the press. 
He won't talk to the state police for Texas Rangers. He won't talk to the feds. And who knows what happened? Because it turns out there weren't police in there for an hour. It turns out they weren't outside the barricaded door. They now say none of that was true. On what planet do we live for 70 plus minutes, hundreds of police stand around, sitting on their hands, that's a nice way of saying it, with their thumbs in their rear ends, doing nothing because the head cop of the school district said so, who it turns out wasn't in radio communication, and who it turns out wasn't even on the scene. That's dereliction of duty. That is serious negligence. And I want him indicted for negligence. And I want him indicted for fraud. And I want everybody else that lied in trouble. Because if we don't keep the police accountable, we're in a police state. That doesn't mean when the left goes after him for no reason, we back him. But this is shameful, and this is disgusting. And quite frankly, who the hell knows what happened? I'm really suspicious now of this police chief. I'm really suspicious of the whole thing and the timing and the midterms and all of it. And you got the white supremacist with the feds and all of it, and, and that's being covered up. Is the average cop bad? No, they followed orders and stood there. But these moms had better instincts. And the off-duty cops went and got their own kids. So here's this powerful woman. Uvalde mom who saved kids from school shooting says police threatened her. This is uh, Angeli Gomez. This woman is who the police chief should be. I am so ashamed of Texas. I'm ashamed that I bought their BS. And I'm pissed. Now, I don't know what went on down there, but for all we know, it could be MK Ultra. For all we know, my God, yet again, man, just like the Whitmer case I thought was staged, turned out it was all fake. We need to find out what the hell's going on. This guy told six friends he was going to shoot the school up. The police were told and were not given a warrant to go after him. Why are the police following orders? It's following orders at a time like this. And the cops tasing fathers and mothers. It's disgusting. And the police aided and abetted that murderer by protecting him while he killed those people. Here she is. Arrest you because you're being very uncooperative. I said, well, you're going to have to arrest me because I'm going in there. And I'm telling you right now, I don't see none of y'all in there. Y'all are standing with snipers and y'all are far away. I'm, if y'all don't go in there, I'm going in there. He right, immediately put me in cuffs. She says after Uvalde police officers told marshals to uncuff Gomez, she ran towards the school. As soon as they uncuffed me, I jumped that first gate fence. And once I jumped it, I went to my son's class. And I knocked on the door and I remember the teacher saying, um, I'm like, hey, they're already, they're already um, bulge cutting the fence to get me. She's like, you think we have time to get out? I said, you'll have time. I'm going to run for my other son. Once she was assured her son was okay, Gomez ran to get her other child, encountering more officers who tried to stop her. So I start yelling and I'm being a cooperative and I'm like, well, y'all aren't doing shit. What are y'all doing? Y'all ain't doing Y'all need to be in here. Give me your best. Somebody give me a best. Some, something. I started paying attention to how far the shots were being. 
So I knew the shooter was all the way still by my first son's class. So when I went to my son, my second son's door, the teacher didn't want to open the door for me. So that's when they started um, escorting me out. And as I, as I see that they're opening my son's door, I go run for my son and I get him. With both of her kids out safe, Gomez still can't shake the thought of those who didn't make it. While you were inside the school, did you see officers there inside the school? There was not one the officer inside the school when I In ran the to areas. my second son's class. There was not one officer. And you were hearing gunshots, so you knew you that could hear the it gunshots. was an active shooter. It was still active. The gunshots were still active. They were not in there. There was no one in there. If anything, when I pulled up, my car was closer to the school than, the, where, than where the snipers and everybody that was laying on the ground were. When you heard that it took law enforcement 75 minutes before they went in and stopped the shooter, what was your thinking, having been inside the school yourself? I don't know. I was just thinking that they could have saved many more lives. They could have gone into that classroom and maybe two or three would have been gone, but they could have saved a whole Oh, more the whole class. They could have done something, gone through the window, sniped them through the window. I mean, something, but nothing was being done. If anything, they were being more aggressive on us parents that were willing to go in there. And like I told one of the officers, I don't need you to protect me. Get away from me. I don't need your protection. If anything, I need you to go in there with me to go protect my kids. And if anything, they were being more aggressive on us. They were more pertained on keeping us back than getting into that school. So this woman followed her God-given instincts. She's a good mother. And the police followed the criminal orders of that police chief who needs to be in handcuffs right now. Okay, I want him arrested now. Arrest that son of a bitch right now. Right now. No more of this crap. I bitched out Florida for standing out for 14 minutes. Texas stands down for over 70. Shameful. Shameful is but one of many appropriate words that might apply in this situation. But the greater shame and danger facing us now and continuously are all of the gun control wackos who need to be controlled themselves. And when it comes to being ashamed, <laughs> every Canadian who ever voted for Justin Trudeau should be ashamed. You know, Laura Lynn made a comment that guns are important when a society can't trust its government. Now that's correct, but I think it's a bit of an understatement. Guns are a necessity when you can't trust your government, but guns are important to keep a government trustworthy, and therefore they're important during the periods when individual freedom reigns. It's already too late to be thinking about owning a gun when a government has reached that point of total distrust, because that government will do everything in its power to make you unsafe and unprotected from that government, as witness what's going on today. Got this feedback from Trevor D. in reaction to last week's show. And he writes on June 10th, quote, This is from someone to me regarding Trudeau's handgun ban. And I guess his friend wrote him this, Gun bans. It's all coordinated again globally. Serbia had exactly zero shootings committed with quote-unquote high-capacity rifles, although each and every policeman had one, and full auto for years. And yet, in order to quote-unquote harmonize with the EU, our government wants to make new laws limiting the capacity? They are so strange in their requests 
that black powder replicas are about to be strictly regulated. Yes, flintlocks, as well as powerful air guns, quote-unquote, read powerful enough to kill a rabbit, but not a dog. That's, quote-unquote, powerful. And starter pistols, those used by the judges in athletic competitions to make the start of the race. End quote. Wow, talk about paranoia. Talk about fear. You know, Trevor, I've never owned a gun, but I have always known and felt comfortable around people who I know did own guns or do own guns. I grew up around guns. I played with air rifles, pellet guns, and BB guns when I was a kid. Never had an issue or heard of one. You know, I had a friend whose father owned a gun shop, and we would regularly drop by on our way to and from high school, and it never for a second raised any red flags with anyone, including my parents and other friends. The fact that people who do own guns and who do want to own guns are being deprived of their fundamental right to do so makes me feel less safe, and in fact, a little more inclined to have access to a gun myself. Still not there yet, but I can see the day coming. People today have no concept of just how relatively safe we all were in the 50s and early 60s. I mean, we didn't even lock our doors. It's not guns that are different today. It's the culture. And like it or not, guns are a symbol of individual rights. And this is important. Having a right means, this is what it means, that you have the right to use force to protect the life, liberty, or property of yourself, your family, your friends, your neighbors. And of course, a gun is not the only means of using force, but it is the great equalizer. In any confrontation where sheer superior physical force would be overwhelming to a physically smaller or weaker individual. Now last week, you might recall, I pointed to official statistics, both Canadian and American, demonstrating that without exception from the early 70s to the early 90s, Canada's violent crime rate exceeded that of the United States anywhere from 26 to 45 percent, consistently and without exception. Yet Canadians proudly boast how much safer Canada is than the United States without ever questioning it. It's a religion to Canadians, completely faith-based, just like Canadian attitudes and beliefs about the superiority of Canada's single-payer health care monopoly over the American system of private and public options. It's a complete denial of reality, yet people accept rejecting reality when doing so aligns with their subjective beliefs and irrational objectives and agendas. And that is the nature of evil, because it constitutes a rejection of the truth. And speaking of popular mythologies and about things people know that just ain't so, here's John Stossel back in December of 2018 addressing a particularly well-known and popularly believed falsehood, one that we heard raised, in fact, in front of the U.S. Congress in our earlier accounting of that event. You've probably heard that America has the most mass shootings in the world. That's often given as a reason for more gun control. But economist John Lott looked into that claim and he says it's a myth based on one bogus study. The United States has the most mass shootings. By far the most public mass shootings. You don't see murder on this kind of scale with this kind of frequency in any other advanced nation on earth. Where'd that claim come from? 
Obama, and everyone else base it on. A study done by University of Alabama professor Adam Lankford. University of Alabama professor Adam Lankford. This is Adam Lankford. I studied 171 countries for more than 40 years, 1966 to 2012. And essentially the answer was, not surprisingly, the United States has by far the most public mass shooters. His claim received coverage in hundreds of news stories. But all these people were misled by Langford. Not only did he refuse to share a list of his cases, or even the number of shootings he found in each country, which are nowhere in his paper, he refused to share an explanation for how he found those cases. That's academic malpractice. Asked if he used foreign languages to search for these shootings, Langford stated, my data were not limited to English language searches. Asked what languages he used, Langford refused to provide that information. This is all the assistance I can provide at this time, Langford said. Look, I've researched crime for decades, and I've published dozens of peer-reviewed academic articles on the subject. Langford won't even respond to my emails with simple questions. Now, maybe he doesn't want to talk to me because I'm well-known for my research, More Guns, Less Crime. But Langford has refused to share his list of shooters and methods, even with strong gun control advocates. This all seemed very suspicious to me. So the think tank that I run, the Crime Prevention Research Center, researched it. Unlike Langford, we took a lot of time to find all the foreign cases we could. We even got translators to identify cases. Using the same definition of mass public shooters Langford used, four more people killed in a public place, not part of some other type of crime, we found that he grossly undercounted foreign attacks. We counted well over 3,000 shooters, at least 15 times more shooters as Langford claimed. 31% of total shooters, despite the fact that we only have 5% of the world's population. Of the 86 countries where we have identified any mass public shootings occurring, the United States ranks 62nd. Norway, Finland, Switzerland, and Russia are European countries with significantly higher rates of murders for mass public shootings. The explanation is firearm ownership rate. When Langford's data are fixed, there is no relationship between gun ownership rates and mass public shooters. There's a lesson here. Langford's critical but simple error could have been picked up if journalists had only demanded his data and methods before publicizing his study. Journalists should learn to be skeptical. In the meantime, we should all be skeptical of news coverage of studies like this that simply confirm what journalists and people want to hear. Before releasing this video, I also asked Langford for his data and methods for finding shootings in foreign language media. Langford would not provide the information. So what do you think about what's going on? Well, in response to the mass shooting, just as the media is directing me to, 
I'd like to jump to the conclusion that we should ban all guns before I have a chance to think about how that only affects law-abiding citizens while doing nothing to address the underlying cause of mental illness and evil behind mass shootings. Yeah, I think we should ban guns too. Yes, it would make a lot of sense to have people with guns take our guns. But sometimes I think, whoa, wait a minute there, extremist. Just hear me out. Sometimes I think if they want to outlaw guns in order to prevent murder, why don't they just outlaw murder? They already have. And the criminals still break the law? They do. Then are we sure the criminals that break the law would be willing to just obey a new law about guns? I think we're supposed to just think so. I mean, I can only assume that someone who's willing to murder another person would probably have a moral compass that says, hey, Killing a person is great and all, but possessing an object I'm not supposed to, that's just crossing a line. Not gonna do it. Makes sense when we look at it through the lens of that very limited, unlikely perspective. Sure does. Instead of waiting for the leftists who politicize the tragic loss of life to convince the media, to convince the masses, to convince the government to confiscate our guns, Maybe we should just voluntarily turn in our guns. Yes, and maybe we should turn in all our food and private property rights too, just to be safe. I'm pretty sure that's already in process. You know, one alternative theory to what the media is telling us- Whoa, hold it right there, extremist! Good point. But just stay with me for a second on this one. One theory is that power-hungry authoritarians use PSYOP programs like MKUltra to program mentally unstable people to do mass shootings so the authoritarians can then politicize them and justify to the public why guns are being taken. And then they have total tyrannical control over citizens who cannot defend themselves against them. Okay, Mr. Tinfoil Hat. Now, PSYOPs and MKUltra might be proven programs that the government has used, but they're just conspiracy theories. You think so? Yeah, I think calling those realities conspiracy theories as their subjects that I do not understand is a viable way of engaging in intellectual discourse about them so that I don't have to do any research beyond the current level of knowledge that I already have. I'd also like to discount those realities as conspiracy theories because it's just easier than starting the journey of learning about what I don't currently know about. And by being unwilling to learn about anything new, that's how we grow more certain of ourselves. Hey, what's your favorite conspiracy theory? Calculus. I don't know anything about it, and I feel completely unwilling to learn. What about you? The clitoris is my favorite conspiracy theory. I've never found one, and I have no ambition to learn where they actually exist at. Well, in addition to claiming they don't exist, I speculate that one day they'll find them on pregnant men somewhere. But do you know what doesn't sit well with me? Um... I don't know, like the stone-cold hard reality of XY chromosomes and double X chromosomes? Also a conspiracy theory, so no. But it's just that if authoritarians with guns keep telling us that guns are so bad, why do they need guns? I mean, probably just so they can use them. True. But have you ever heard of history? I don't read books, I just burn them. Thank you for your censorship. But. I accidentally learned about history once, and when I did, I learned that only tyrannical regimes disarm their populations. And when they do, those governments inflict terrible control, violence, and killing onto their now disarmed populations. For example, well, for example, in 1911, Turkey established gun control. And then from 1915 to 1917, 1 1.5 million Armenians 
now unable to defend themselves, were rounded up and exterminated. And in 1929, the Soviet Union established gun control. Then from 1929 to 1953, 20 million people, unable to defend themselves, were rounded up and exterminated. What do you mean exterminated? Murdered. Oh, well, those are just two examples. And China established gun control in 1935, then from 1948 to 1952, 20 million political dissidents, unable to defend themselves, were rounded up and killed. Oh, and the people in China still exist under a brutal regime today. Oh, wait a minute. Germany also established gun control in 1938. And then from 1939 to 1945, 13 million Jews and others who were unable to defend themselves were rounded up and exterminated. Huh. I wonder if Hitler purposely disarmed the population so he could tyrannically take over and kill all people opposed to him. It's probably just a coincidence. But also Cambodia established gun control in 1956. Then from 1975 to 1977, one million educated people were rounded up and killed because they were unable to defend themselves. Is my shirt on straight? Yep, good. And Guatemala established gun control in 1964, then from 1964 to 1981, 100,000 Mayan Indians, unable to defend themselves, were rounded up and exterminated. Oh, and it's probably not significant, but Uganda established gun control in 1970, then from 1971 to 1979, 300,000 Christians, unable to defend themselves, were rounded up and exterminated. 56 million people rounded up and exterminated in the 20th century because of gun control? Yeah, apparently. <laughs> but that could never happen here. Yeah, that's what all those people throughout history said. But it couldn't ever really happen here. They said that too. But seriously, that couldn't ever really happen here. Oh, well, when you put it like that, I'm convinced. Yeah, and besides, the authoritarians that want to ban guns in our country are saying it's for our protection. I can only assume that in all those authoritarian regimes that you mentioned that did all the killing, that they had a different honest message for their populations about why they were being disarmed. You think? Yeah, it was probably something like, Hey, we're gonna take all your guns so that we can control every aspect of your life and easily kill those of you who don't comply. No, it says here all those regimes also had a we're banning guns for your protection type of messaging too. <laughs> don't be a conspiracy theorist. Another good point. Then that means this history book must be inaccurate because it reveals a pattern that's currently unfolding in this country that's uncomfortable to think about. Exactly, that's totally false. We should 100% turn in all our guns, like ban them all. Yeah, I feel the coercion to agree with you. But do you think an even better idea could be that if the authoritarians with guns turn in their guns first, and then we the people turn in our guns? No, it just feels easier to trust the people that we know lie to us on a consistent basis. Hmm, just imagine how much better off we'll be without the only constitutional right that allows us to protect ourselves. Yeah, and if history has taught us anything, which it hasn't, it's that banning guns will work out much differently this time. Yep. Can't wait. You are listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. I mentioned earlier that I've never personally owned a gun and never really had a personal interest in guns. So you can imagine how weird it was for me back in the 90s to have found myself in the midst of a gun culture, so to speak, which taught me a lot of things that people like me would never have been privy to. So how did this come to pass? 
Well, one of my close political allies was a fellow named Jim Montag, who has sadly long since passed away, but who at the time was the owner and operator of Great Lakes Gun, Knife, and Military Collectors Association, which sponsored several exhibitions annually. The story that concerns us here was a time when Jim chauffeured me around to various gun clubs in Michigan, and perhaps one or two other neighboring states, where I gave speeches to the club members as a representative of the Freedom Party of Ontario. After my presentations, I would get to talk to some of the friendliest gun folks you'd ever meet, from whom I quickly learned that the idea that America had no gun control regulations was yet another myth. In fact, there were different regulations and controls in force almost every time you crossed a state line or even a county line. And finally, and significantly for listeners to this show, Jim first appeared as our guest way back on Just Right number 13, which aired on our then live broadcast of July 12, 2007, on a show entitled Gun Control and Self-Defense. And of course, that show, aired 15 years ago, is still available on our website. In February 95, Jim Montag had an essay, The Fallacy of Gun Control, published in Freedom Party's newsletter, Consent Number 22, again, still available on Freedom Party's site, from which I shall draw a few of his observations at the time. And I quote, Why do the majority believe gun control will work? Well, because they've been told by people they believe they could trust that it will work. <laughs> COVID vaccines, anyone? These entrusted yet very misguided people, though well-meaning, do not have sufficient experience or knowledge and will not do the necessary research to make a rational statement. As a method to reduce crime and criminal activities, gun control has never worked, is not working, and will never work. Guns are a weapon and should be referred to and treated as such. Their mere mention of guns or the sight of guns strikes fear into some of us. This fear is based on unsound, irrational principles and should be directed to the criminal misuse of weapons and not to a specific weapon. Some common weapons that have recently been used for criminal purposes include knives, swords, spears, guns, ordinary tableware, electric knives, high-heeled shoes, fists, feet, fingers, Butcher knives, cleavers, hatchets, axes, ice picks, chainsaws, hypodermic needles, medications, poisons, electroshock, motor vehicles, airplanes, hat pins, bombs, fires, wrenches, clubs, arrows, grenades, straight razors, blowguns, golf clubs, baseball bats, rope wire, and on and on ad nauseum. A person intent on criminal activity, if denied the use of one weapon, will simply turn to another. Strict gun control and severe limitations on gun ownership does not reduce crime, but actually result in increased criminal activity. In Orlando, Florida, in 1966, reported rapes were 35.9 per 100,000. The Orlando Police Department organized a handgun training program for women. One year later, the reported rapes dropped to 4.1 per 100,000. In 1982, Kennesaw, Georgia passed a law which made it mandatory for all homeowners to possess a firearm. In less than a year, Kennesaw's burglary rate dropped 60%. And by the way, that happens to be a case that was discussed when Jim appeared on our show 15 years ago. But here's a particular passage in Jim's essay that really caught my attention. Quote, this year will go down in history. For the first time, a civilized nation has full gun control. 
our streets will be safer, our police more efficient, and the world will follow our lead into the future, end quote. You know who said that? Adolf Hitler, 1935. Or Justin Trudeau, 2022. <laughs> Anyways, that was Jim's commentary way back in 1995. Now, on this side of our final bumper, from June 9th, American Journal Daily Dispatch, and on the return side of the bumper, lawyer David Freiheit from his June 12th Viva Fry show in discussion with lawyer Robert Barnes on the issue of gun control. And I should point out that over time, I've learned that Robert Barnes is an incredibly reliable source of information on a myriad of topics, and he speaks with a genuine authority on the subjects. I mean an authority based on experience and knowledge and truth, not some authority based on mere popularity or political pull with an agenda. We need more voices like his, which we shall hear on the return side of our bumper, but first... Here it is, folks, your Daily Dispatch for Thursday, the 9th of June, 2022. Gun restrictions bill passes House with help of Republicans. Responding to a recent wave of mass shootings, the House of Representatives passed a bill raising the age to purchase semi-automatic rifles to 21, requiring safe firearm storage, uh, storage while seeking to crack down on illicit firearm trafficking. Yes, translation, responding to a recent wave of mass shootings, the House passes a bill, a sweeping gun laws that would do absolutely nothing to stop any of the mass shootings that they are supposedly responding to. Really incredible stuff. The House passed the Protecting Our Kids Act on a 223-204 vote Wednesday that fell mostly on party lines. Congressional Democrats who swiftly assembled the package earlier this month say it will reduce gun violence, but of course it won't. Five Republicans crossed over to support the legislation, which would be the most significant gun control measure passed by Congress in nearly two decades. However, it faces uncertainty in the Senate. Showing once again that the Founding Fathers knew what they were doing when they set up the Senate to be the more deliberative and slower acting of the two houses. The House of uh, Representatives can be as knee-jerk reactionary as they want. We have the Senate as a stopgap measure to prevent ridiculous and unconstitutional and worthless law from actually being signed. Ten Republican senators, in order to avoid a filibuster, have joined in on new gun control provisions. We have another mass shooting and uh, in America, and instead of looking at why the media celebrates these mass shootings, why there's inadequate security repeatedly at these proceedings, why the investigators and, or government officials end up involved at some level where they knew and didn't warn, or they could have taken action, or in some cases look like they're being instigators at some level, uh, you know, provocateurs at some level. None of that is being investigated for the same reason they had to demonize Alex Jones over Sandy Hook. They needed the whole focus to be on the gun, the gun, the gun, the gun. And a bunch of wussy Republican senators have taken the bait. Uh, and right now, 10 Republican senators have joined in with the uh, 50 Democrats to vote for a bunch of gun control restrictions, the most problematic of which Red flag uh, is the uh, uh, empowering red flag laws across America. The red flag law or the red flag warning system is going to be the biggest issue for many. Do, do you know what the terms of this agreement are? You know, uh, 30,000 foot overview. 
the good news is it doesn't itself institute red flag laws. There's constitutional doubts whether Congress could do so at a federal level. Uh, the bad news is that they are incentivizing through major funding proposals, getting states to do so and are all excited about it. Uh, just temporarily, just temporarily. I mean, imagine, you know, someone like an Amber Heard could have got all of Johnny Depp's uh, guns taken away from him if he you know, had any. Right. Uh, I mean, that it's those kind of do we want to empower a bunch of Amber Heard's across America to take away people's guns? There's no evidence at all given that the complete lack of security breakdown and safety protocols and response protocols and and uh, and other aspects that any red flag law would have stopped any of these mass school shootings, period. And in fact, the evidence to the contrary, it, there's plenty of laws on the books and these people violate them. This is just a pretext. Red flag, law, flag laws are the greatest threat to the Second Amendment because under any guise, without a jury trial, a judge can take away uh, your rights. And they're trying to expand, again, the definition of domestic abuse so that uh, they can take away guns from those people based on, in some cases, no, nothing more than an allegation as well. Changing federal law, may, uh, creating new federal laws that limit, the, that regulate the sale, purchase, and trade of guns, which is just an effort for the ATF to have more power over your everyday life in the gun context. They're all bad proposals. There's not a single proposal in there that's worth worth the paper it's printed on. Uh, so the, these are bad. These are not as dangerous as some of Biden's proposals, but these are still very dangerous, a perilous path. And now maybe we understand why they needed to blame, falsely blame Alex Jones for the school shooting of Sandy Hook and why they never did adequately investigate and publicize what really happened at Sandy Hook, why they never investigated uh, fully what's happening at Uvalde. Uvalde in Texas... They're already using pre-lawsuit procedures whereby you can depose somebody before a lawsuit yeah. even filed to blame uh, the gun manufacturer. It, it's Sandy Hook part two. Uh, well, and um, it's because of all the lies about Sandy Hook in part that we're here because the, the, the gun isn't the reason uh, the, there's a problem. And lawful you, uh, you know, uh, gun owners who lawfully own guns protect and keep people safe like the person who stopped this shooter from shooting more people, like people have stopped shootings all across the country repeatedly, uh, like people have stopped all kinds of crime repeatedly. They are the, they make the country safer, not more dangerous. Politicians trying to take away gun rights is what makes the country more dangerous. Robert, you got to explain this to me. The, we're going to go back to Sandy Hook because I never understood it back in the time. They sued in Sandy Hook. It was Smith and Wesson that they that uh, uh, parents had sued, or was it another man? Um, uh, I'm blinking on the name of the gun company, but <clears throat> what happened? I, uh, well, I, th- I want to say Remington. Uh, Remington. But, uh, the but and what happened was the insurance companies wrote one of the biggest checks ever. They wrote maximum coverage policies, probably because the insurance companies involved are politically aligned with gun control rather than the interest of those insurance companies' reserves. Because, uh, I mean, I mean, it was really, first of all, it was a case that over time at the U.S. Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court should have stepped in before, but you're not really supposed to be able to sue. There's, there is federal law in the books that prevents this kind of these kind of suits from happening in the first place. So we'll see if they finally put a stop to it, if federal courts do their job. The state courts in Connecticut are not capable of doing their job. Just it won't happen. They've proven that in any Sandy Hook related case throughout. Uh, though I was lectured this week about how judges only call balls and strikes and they never do anything political. The reality is a little different uh, for those that aren't living in fantasy land. So the uh, uh, the the dynamic of it is is uh, problematic 
in terms of the direction that it's going in a lot of these cases. Now, yeah, good news is that they extended the rights of 18-year-olds to purchase guns. Guess what the Senate gun control proposal does? Wants to go back and restrict those uh, all over again, pass new federal laws that prohibit people from under 21 from purchasing a wide range of guns. They don't want anybody to have a written house ability to defend themselves. Uh, the, the one thing that unites every tyrant is they all love gun control. doesn't matter whether they're Hitler, Stalin, Mao, any of them. They all love gun control. Um, and so in gun control, there's no good reliable study that suggests it can work, even if you thought it was okay to infringe on the Second Amendment in the first place. It doesn't work. It backfires. It leads to more harm, more death, uh, just to uh, give the state more power. And that's what it's all about. In which case, gun control does work if it gives the state more power. For their agenda, it works perfectly. Of course, by quote-unquote doesn't work. We are judging the state's action by the state's own fake objectives, our safety and protection, which we know doesn't work. You know, this is precisely the principle at work behind climate change doesn't work, COVID vaxes doesn't work, lockdowns, they don't work, poverty programs, they don't work. Anything the government attempts to do that is not a government function will always, quote-unquote, never work because the things that work in society are those based on mutual cooperation and consent. And the things that don't are those that require the use of a gun, whether literally or in the form of the state, which is a gun. Attempting to force an otherwise perfectly consensual situation into one controlled by government politicians and bureaucrats. If reducing the state of crime is truly one's intention and objective, then perhaps we should heed the advice of Leonard Peikoff, who in 1995 gave a speech at the Ford Hall Forum entitled, What to Do About Crime, from which I will quote the following. A great deal of time and money, though not of thought, has been devoted to finding the cause of crime. Crime, we are told, is caused by racial discrimination, broken homes, the decline of religion, TV violence, genes, drugs, unemployment, poverty, mental illness, capitalist greed, street gangs exerting peer pressure, urbanization, industrialization, immigration, and this is only a sample of today's chaotic theory. But is it possible that crime is a philosophical phenomenon, which can be fought only by philosophical means? After a certain amount of research, I could not avoid coming to the conclusion that there is such a thing as a criminal mind or criminal personality. In my view, it's not an innate endowment, but a set of acquired traits. These are the traits that must be identified and then fought if we wish to successfully deal with the problem of crime. Why a man becomes a criminal is clear. Once a man or a child rejects reason in every crucial philosophical area, metaphysics, epistemology, and ethics, nothing is left to him but a life of physical force. If a man uses force to rape a whole country, he's a dictator. If he has a lesser scale of ambition but the same kind of brutality seething within him, he becomes a career criminal. The West enjoyed over a century of falling crime rates until the massive sudden turnaround in the 1960s when crime began to explode upwards, a movement that has continued without let-up to this day. This brings us to the real cause of our exploding crime rate. There is only one primary culture-wide factor that did change in the 1960s as and when the crime rate did. 
What changed was the ideas and values which ruled America. The ideas that dominated the low-crime 19th and early 20th centuries are the opposite of the ideas of the counterculture. We hear an uninterrupted litany of anti-conceptual, anti-reality bromides. Nothing is certain. There are no facts. Ideas are subjective. Everything is changing. Who knows what will happen tomorrow? Words are semantics. There are no absolutes. In short, thinking is useless. Reality is unknowable by reason. Be guided instead by your blood, your race, your peers, or your leaders. Consider the two dominant answers given today to the problem of crime. The liberals argue that prevention is more important than punishment, which is valid as far as it goes. But the means of preventing crime, the liberals continue, is an array of government programs. The means is the welfare state. Not only has it not made a dent in the crime rate, it has, in fact, seriously worsened the problem. The other liberal remedy is rehabilitation of the criminal. Again, this is valid as far as it goes, but to liberals, the means of rehabilitation is schooling or psychotherapy. As the recidivism rates make clear, both of these are useless as rehabilitation. As to the conservative solution to the problem of crime, it is worse than that of the liberals. The conservatives are right that the criminal justice system today is a disgrace. They are right that we will never reduce crime until we establish a system of swift, certain, and severe punishment for offenders. The conservatives, however, anti-intellectual to the end, ignore fundamental issues. They do not consider the causes of crime or of a collapsing world or the cure. Confronted by the shocking rise in violence, their response is to urge school prayer and to vent mindless anger, lock them up and throw away the key. Many go on to refine this notion by penal formulas taken from baseball, three strikes and you're out, or any variant thereof. (laughs) We need to teach a philosophy of reason and reality, and a morality of rational self-interest. Only this kind of philosophy will work in combating any social evil, including crime, end quote. And I would add, including tyranny, which is unfortunately the condition towards which our governments are constantly trying to move. Therefore, necessitating the use of guns. One would think that with all of the various highly trained police forces that we hear so much about, that things like mass school shootings would not even be an event to ever occur, as last week we learned it was until very recent decades. Yet with all of the competing police forces and and whatever authorities at Uvalde, absolutely no one was able to save any of the children trapped in the school, apparently against one single gunman. Which brings us back to the question we find difficult to ask. Are calls for gun controls a consequence of the shootings, or are the shootings a consequence of the gun control agenda? We have more than good reasons to pause and consider this question. And pause we shall do, until you join us again next week, when we will continue our journey in the right direction, and until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. To black and white Under the bedclothes Everything will be alright What's going on? No, 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 don't I'm not a chaos agent Are you a double agent? So's he 99, he's lying No, I'm not
The geese fly high. The frost is on the grass. Max! Yes. Sorry about that, oh. Bella. Oh. I didn't mean to hit you so hard. I think you fractured my skull. It'll heal, it'll heal. <laughs> Don't shoot. Uh, the geese fly high. The frost is on the grass. The geese fly high. <laughs> the frost is on the grass. You're coming. You're coming. The geese fly. Oh! The frost is on the grass. Just a minute. Who are you guys? CIA. Naval Intelligence. <laughs> FBI. Scotland Yard here. <laughs> yeah. Scotland Yard. You found him. Hi, Charlie. Well, I can't wait to tell the chief Go about this. Me. We're really in line for congratulations. We've just broken the sinister arm of chaos that's threatened the nation's capital. But Max, what about when the chief finds out that we've just wounded four of our own government's top agents? Well, we don't have to tell the chief everything. <laughs>